Welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, where we have engaging conversations about software development and cloud engineering with industry leaders and subject matter experts. These episodes are created by the Great Lakes Tech Leaders, an online community of technology practitioners. Please come join the conversation by visiting gltl.rbn.ai. Again, that's gltl.rbn.ai. Now strap in, because we're deploying to production in three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. My name is Adam Oberhausen, and I'm your host. Joining me today is my co-host and AWS community builder, Tom Kowalski. Say hi, Tom. Hello. And I'm honored to introduce for the very first time our new co-host, Joe Coleman, professional wrestler and business technology consultant. Say hi, Joe. Oh, hi. Hi, everybody. You're too kind, Adam. You know, uh, hello, everybody. Thanks for uh, the warm introduction there. I'm uh, here to kind of help guys, uh, help you guys with the show, keep things moving along, maybe crack some jokes along the way and really help monitor the chat room. So on that note, if anybody in the audience or listening, you know, has any questions, uh, just feel free to post them in the chat and I'll make sure to bring them up and uh, in the conversation. So, um, yeah, I think let's get it on. Do it. Thank okay, you. in this episode, we'll be diving back into the fascinating world of product management and more specifically defining good goals for your product by making data-driven decisions. We've got a lot to cover today, so grab your lunch and buckle up. Tom, how's it going, buddy? It's, it's going great. Excited to jump back into product management. We have our uh, esteemed guests, subject matter experts that we had last time. Excited to jump back in where we, where we left off and dive a little deeper into some of the topics, you know, specifically around uh, setting goals and, you know, measuring and monitoring. So, yeah, again, we have Lauren Seabor, if you want to introduce yourself. Hi, great to be here. Uh, Lauren Seabor, I am a group product manager at Google. And Nicole Anderson. Hello, I'm Nicole Anderson. I'm a product manager, formerly software engineer. I've been in product for about seven years, mostly focusing on B2B SaaS software. And Calissa Pollard. Hello, everyone. Yes, Calissa Pollard, senior product manager with OpenDoc. Adam also asked me to plug my podcast <laughs> called What's Ooh. Up Doc. Um, we just take a look inside the warehousing world, uh, logistics specific, and I've been with OpenDoc for and a half years now, and it was my first foray into product management. So it's been a fun ride. Great. Well, let's get it started here. Um, Lauren, you were the brainchild of this uh, of this talk, so I wanted to kick it off with you and, like, you know, let's let's talk about how you define good goals. Maybe we lost Lauren, so let's... Wait, am I back now? <laughs> yeah, there she is. All right, awesome. We were talking before this. We're like, you know, it, we're live, so if we have little tech mishaps, we're going with it, right? So, yeah. I jinxed right. that. Sorry, I jinxed it. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, so thanks for, for letting me uh, kick this off. I uh, mentioned this in our first uh, uh, 
conversation where we focused on product management and it just really highlight this as probably one of the most important aspects in my experience in product management of being able to um, be successful and so i'm really excited to dive into this and spend some dedicated time talking about goals you could talk about this for far more than a half hour so you know i think we'll really still only scratch the surface but hopefully our listeners will walk away with some useful insights into what product managers are trying to accomplish and how important um, metrics and goal setting is in particular so yeah um so where do we start with goals anyone like is the goal start set like we have a goal where, and then where does we, it come from? Yeah, where where does it come from? Our bosses. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I want to know that. Like who who is the per man in the tower, woman in the tower that says this is the goal? I mean, great starting question, right? I think that it comes from a few different places. You have some amount of top-down direction, right? Where your leadership says this is what's important for our company, maybe for our particular product. Um and so you have to start from that fundamental place. What are we trying to accomplish? What's most important to the business um, for us right now? Uh, and then you as a product manager are mirroring that with your understanding of your users and your particular product and how you interpret that goal. So just an example I can give that probably articulates this a little bit better. Let's say that um, my, uh, my CEO is all about user growth right now. We are, you know, maybe earlier on in our overall product life cycle, and we really want to get new user adoption. So that is the main thing that we want to drive. That's super important to be very clear about, because that is going to inform the sorts of things you do in a very drastic way. Overall, a product, um, the type of work that you do. Um, and like the way that you manage a product when it's in like a growth mode, quote unquote, is very different than one that you're managing that is in say an optimization mode or a feature expansion mode. And so, you know, you really want to understand at that high level, what is that goal? And then you take it in and say, well, what does growth mean for me? Is that new user acquisition? Is that tightening my funnel? Maybe I'm getting a lot of users in, but I'm churning them right away long-term growth. Maybe I get people in, they stick around for a week and then they're out of here. Um, so that's really where you start to zoom in and say, well, how am I doing right now? And where's my opportunity? And then how can I address those opportunities? That's the magic of where product managers come in. So you get some of it, some high level direction, and then you're trying to carry that forward. Is there some kind of like, I did some research for the show as I do, and like, you know, the, the, the smart goals that like using, is there some catchy acronym that you guys like to use when you're talking about goals? Or is it just come? Do you from... all call them goals, right? Or do you call them initiatives? What do you use in your Calissa? Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah, I think, um, for the most part, a lot of companies nowadays use, uh, OKRs, you know, mm -hmm. so I guess you could utilize smart goals to kind of help you through what your OKRs should ultimately be. Um, and, and what does my, OKR stand for? Um, objective key results. Um, so you're creating an objective um, and then you have a key result that you need to measure that objective based off of. Um, 
So with a SMART goal, you really want to understand, you know, have you, has anybody under, or ever heard of that SMART goal, like acronym before? Yeah. Okay. I have, I've heard of it, yeah, I've yeah. not used yeah. it personally, but. Yeah, I haven't used it a ton either, but I, you kind of see, like, it, it makes a lot of sense when you hear it. It's basically, yeah. it's a specific goal, it's attainable, it's relevant, it's time bound. Those are, you know, the. Skip the M. Which is measurable. 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 Yep. Thank you. Yep. Specific, so measurable, specific, attainable. Measurable, attainable, relevant, and time bound. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, I've I've been in the I've been around the block a few times and I've never seen a business like have like this is our smart goal session like. <laughs> so I yeah, it's like who own does the pro do you as product managers are you accountable for the goal? Because a lot like these goals seem like they're more like like business high level business objectives but do they are, are is the product is the product manager accountable for the for those high level goals Calissa? absolutely yeah absolutely um so a lot of times when you're creating your goals you are working very closely with what in my experience it's what with what the clients are needing and it's also with what my you know corporation is asking for as well um yeah definitely agree um i think that uh, like I said, you know, maybe uh, it depends on the granularity uh, of your ownership as a product manager. What's your particular scope and what do you have control over? So if an overall business goal might be to grow revenue, maybe I can only own a piece of that. So I'm not necessarily accountable to the top line business goal of of increasing revenue to some degree. Um, but what's the part of that that I am responsible for and I do have control over in my scope as a product manager. So if I have an imaginary product um, that say um, is uh, helping users make online reservations for restaurants. Um, and so, you know, we know that we get some amount of revenue share based on number of completed bookings. Well, I can specifically say that we want to increase the amount of bookings or rate of booking completion, something like that, because that's how we will contribute to revenue. And I would be totally accountable for setting that overall objective that it's important for us to be focused on increasing um, revenue in this particular scope. And then I'd be responsible for trying to define a roadmap that leads to that result and ultimately accountable for how much we're able to contribute to the top line goal for the business. So it's kind of this intermediary um, that that you're really trying to be accountable for. Okay. I had a question for Nicole. I think you, since you maybe you came from a like a, you know, you've worked in smaller companies. So like, how, how do can you can you compare like how a company like Google has a goal versus a smaller company you may have worked for and like is it more top down driven is it more sales driven um or is it just like is a can a feature be a goal i don't know just let me let me hear you mm -hmm. riff on on yeah. your experience with goals i've kind of experienced it from all of those angles that you described i think as day smart grew we were getting closer to more of what lauren was describing where there were key goals that the company had set out for that year. Uh, like, for example, increasing the percentage of customers that were using our integrated card processing was really important for our CEO. So then that was something that was like, you know, clearly attainable through projects that I could control as product uh, owner of the, the product that had the onboarding process for that, which was not very uh, well executed. So that was something that I took on that was a project that where we could convert more people to 
um, use our card processing by making the process easier, fewer steps, less friction. Uh, so that was an example of where I was given a directive and I was able to define my own goals from that. Um, but there's also a lot of times where it's kind of more vague of we just want to feature parity with competitors or with legacy products. And we were not as good at defining measurable goals, which as I got uh, more and more into it, realizing how important that was, because you may not know at the end if you were successful and because you don't even know what you were really trying to achieve with that goal. Another thing I really struggle with, uh, and I was starting to make some progress with uh, implementing a data lake and a Tableau system uh, towards towards the end of my tenure at Daysmart, but sometimes just having access to data to know what goals to create for yourself is difficult in a small company because you may not really have the visibility to know what are the metrics that I want to measure. How do I measure them? How, what do we all have the same definition of what those metrics are across departments? Like if I say churn, does the VP of sales mean the same thing when they talk about churn or um, when they talk about MRR and ARR, how are they measuring that? And is it the same as how I'm measuring it? Um, certain pockets of the company would have information that others didn't. So it became really difficult to even get on the same page talking about the data that we're trying to measure. So yeah, that can be a challenge for, for at least for me, it was. Yeah, that's a great transition to the next step in our conversation, which is the importance of data in product management. So, um, Nicole, you highlighted some of the struggles that uh, we had at Daysmart with data. Um, I'd like to hear um, how, you know, Calissa and the OpenDoc team, like, how do you guys, how's your data and how do you make sense of it and how do you use it to make the decisions? Yeah, and I think, you know, you want to use data, but you also do want to get that client feedback. So quantitative and qualitative um, data mm -hmm. is very important. So just looking at the numbers doesn't always paint the entire picture. Um, so a, a big thing is customer feedback. So you can do surveys and things like that. Um, and then you can also look at user behavior data. So you can look at Google Analytics. Uh, we also have something called um, Mixpanel which, you know, will track the user's clicks or Hotjar, which is like a, you know, a heat map. It'll show you how often they're running their cursor over certain buttons, or if they get frustrated and they press a button a bunch of times, it'll, you know, have like a sad or angry face. So you can quickly um, just get to that point and see, okay, why are they getting frustrated here? Um, yeah. And then you can also do, uh, find more information about sales data. Um, you know, we track a lot of the information about what our salespeople are pitching and which opportunities are actually close winning or close losing. And if it's a close loss and it's due to a product feature, they'll start to track that. And we can over time start to see, okay, if we did have that feature, how much more revenue could we have, you know, made in the last year or however, you know, whatever your time box is. So. So you talked a little bit about user feedback and then the actual like the data looking at data um do you have a is do you do you weigh one more heavily in your in your experience like do you think the user feedback weighs more than what some data tells me or is it do you have to um treat them both as equals yeah it kind of goes hand in hand sometimes you'll 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 look at the data you'll look at the graphs and you'll just want to know what is going on and so you'll go ask questions to clients and obviously you don't want to just take one client's word for it um, you're usually asking multiple clients over the course of however many weeks or months depending on what the project is um, i think they pretty much go hand in hand I, I think it's very important to have that conversation with the users okay yeah, I think you have uh, to use your intuition on that and you don't let one override the other 
in any, like, sometimes you'll look at the data and you'll have like a gut feeling that something doesn't make sense. And you'll have to dig into maybe there was a mistake in the report or it wasn't generated in the way that you thought it was and you don't necessarily want to act on that. And then, you know, the other way could be true as well that, um, you know, your intuition could be wrong and you, you know, you have to listen to the data. So it's kind of a balance, I would say. Okay. Um, Lauren, can you maybe help us understand how to draw meaningful conclusions from data and how you like identify the trends and patterns in the data and like without putting your own bias into the data? That's always, yeah, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of rambling, but just like, how do you guys, use, how do you guys use data to draw meaningful conclusions is the essence of my question. It's a great question. Um, I'm going to start a half a step before your question um, and just continue a little bit from the conversation we were just having and then uh, get there. So uh, one of the things that I have learned a lot about while I've been at Google is when is the right time to use different types of data to make different types of decisions? And so I think Nicole and Cliff were both uh, touching on this where sometimes you have user engagement data. Sometimes it might be um, attitudinal feedback from a survey. Sometimes it's qualitative from um, interviews that you do with users. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, support feedback. You have all sorts of different ways in which you get um, different types of information. And this just goes to connect back to the start of our conversation. This goes back to having that clear understanding of your goals to then say, well, what sources of data are the most important for you to be looking at? Um, if I have a top line goal of revenue growth, then I have very clear data that I can tie that back to. What are the things that drive revenue up? What users' behaviors then are correlated with revenue? And I can look back at that. And it tends to be a very quantitatively driven um, and engagement driven sort of metric that you're looking at and analyzing. If you are trying to maybe find a good product market fit, and you want to understand user sentiment, satisfaction, um, a feeling of completion for uh, a problem that you're trying to help them solve. Those are your, you know, classic survey pieces of data, right? You're not going to get that just off of user behaviors. You might then look at what types of behaviors do users take and how does that tend to correspond to um, what they'll tell me in a survey. But you can't understand how a user feels more satisfied with their product experience based on attitude or based on engagement metrics. So if you're going to be analyzing and making decisions off of these, you have to start with, well, what was the question I'm asking and what's therefore the right data source to look through? And then as you do that, what are you looking for? I kind of started mentioning a few of these, but um, you know, if I'm looking at data I'm trying to understand trends first and foremost. I'm trying to say I have a very clear understanding of what I'm hoping to see, what maybe good looks like, a successful session, um, a successful transaction, things like that. You kind of know, you know, what's an average time to complete a task, how many users might be doing that versus how many users might not. And so you're just looking for these like high level trends and then you're looking for things that are gonna indicate an opportunity. Maybe 70% of your users you see like dropping off of some 
some flow at a similar uh, point in the experience. Like you dive into that. So that's the first thing is just like objectively really understanding where you need to dive in based on the goals that you set, based on the right type of data set. Identify trends, identify outliers, and that starts to get you into, all right, what what's causing those things and what does that imply in terms of where we could be spending our time on making product improvements. Yeah. How do you all balance these goals with everything else? How do you keep track of it, right? Maintaining the application, the product, right? the performance, the reliability, security. How do you find that balance with the, the goals that you have versus everything else? I'm sure it's different for everybody. Um depending on the software you're building, the company size. What I tried to do, sometimes successfully, sometimes not so successfully, was to have goals or projects for all of the Scrum teams separated out because I was at, um, you know, able to plan the roadmap for uh, three or three to five Scrum teams at once. So if I knew that there were some really important goals that we needed to accomplish for a quarter, I would basically have that be the main focus for one team and don't let them get interrupted with injections or uh, fires, bug fixing, all of that. And then I might have another team that's more focused on projects that are in flux and we don't necessarily know are going to uh, come up in a month. So they're able to kind of take the injections and the, you know, things from support that are um, on fire. <laughs> but then that wouldn't necessarily hold up the timing of the other team. It doesn't always work perfectly because sometimes there's just not enough, uh, not enough teams to to offset everything, but that's just that's one way that I I try to segment the work. I always thought of it as like a game of Tetris, and I was always trying to like fit everything in where I could, but it yeah sometimes it doesn't always work out. So perfectly. random pieces come. That you yes. Participate. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question, Tom. Um, I think. Sometimes I don't want to over promise and under deliver. So a lot of times we will work to just have like actual goals that are achievable. That's a really big one and pushing back if we really think that it's not necessarily achievable within the time that we're allotted. So it's very important to work very closely with your executives, with your managers, even with the customer's expectations, all of that and making sure that they understand where you're at. Um, a big piece for us is having a roadmap, having a, you know, it, your roadmap changes all the time, so that's okay, but always kind of putting in some buffer time for helping with support tickets, or if you do find a regression or a bug and, you know, your team kind of has to halt and fix that problem before they can move on and start implementing any additional features or anything. So it is definitely a balancing act, but I would say my advice is usually under promise and over deliver, and that's done pretty well for position here. So. Are there any tools that you use to, to help you kind of see what's, you know, yeah. stack up and, and what's more the higher priority, right? Like assigning yeah. certain security things, a higher score, right? right. And like being able to yeah. see it. Um, yeah, so our team uh, heavily works in JIRA. Uh, that's our tool of choice. There's a ton of other tools. We used to use ClickUp was another one, really good one. And you could plan your sprints out. You could plan, you know, your quarter out a little bit further um we kind of do like the now next later uh you know time boxing and making sure that we're tracking things that we need to get done now versus later um, and then we just recently implemented another tool called product board 
and this is a place where we send our clients to go input uh, feedback or you know feature requests and we start to track all of that data and then we could map that towards a specific uh, ticket or a specific feature and then we can start to map a full roadmap using that tool which has been really helpful for us but um, just recently implemented so yeah i don't know about nicole or lauren what you guys use on your teams I I have uh, probably the least sophisticated answer to this. We have a lot of spreadsheets um, <laughs> here at Google. Oh. <laughs> it's sort of like a skeleton in the closet. Um, it's a long story, but yeah, we have a lot of spreadsheets. We also have a lot of internal uh, tools that we use, um, but often just magical spreadsheets. It's the easiest way to, to stack it all up. And it's um, Google Sheets, right? So you can. And it's Google Sheets all, okay. specifically, Good. of course. Yeah. <laughs> so. You can't use anything not Google. This is taboo. No, you cannot. Um, but I just want to really, like, uh, totally agree with everything Nicole and Clissa said. I mean, two things that are really essential for me in kind of making those trade off decisions is one, um, kind of like bucketing how much of the team's focus is on different areas so if we do set a few goals for the team then you're kind of saying well 40 percent of the team is focused on that goal 30 percent of the teams focused on that goal and we don't ever uh try to subscribe to 100 percent. we always try to subscribe to about 80 percent. so you have that wiggle room so you have um people's time that you hopefully should be able to flex um, and then we try to take that also within those spaces have a really clear prioritization with that roadmap and say okay well what are the absolute um, top priorities and what are the things we're willing to trade off? Where do we draw that line? So if stuff comes up, we can do that. But I have found no excellent way to prioritize across very different things. I cannot say, you know, doing this security project is more or less important than doing like this revenue generating project. Like how do you compare those things? So just trying to say they each have their space. They're both really important. We have people dedicated to each. And then within that, you've created yourself a framework to then be pretty aggressive with your prioritization to look at things as they come and reevaluate. And one of the a product manager's most important tools is their ability to say no um, with information back to decisions as things come up. I, um, I've... <laughs> I struggled with the percent allocation. Like we always did the same thing of, you know, every sprint we're going to do 20% on, on bug fixes or tech debt or some allocation. And inevitably there's some project deadline that we're running towards and, you know, we have, you know, we're getting pressure or whatever. And we have, that's going to be the first thing to get cut is, is the stuff that the, you know, leadership doesn't see directly. So that was kind of where I started to have different teams like to separate it out where like they're more insulated, but then when they find out you have a team, then they're going to give you more projects too. So sometimes that doesn't always work, but I definitely agree. Like if you are able to stick to the under promise over deliver and stick to the percent allocation, like that is the absolute best way to do it. I just always struggled with when I try to under promise, they're like, why is it taking so long? Or like, that yeah. doesn't seem accurate. That shouldn't take right. you that long. But it's like, I know, but if it's not that long, then you're going to be happy. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, I mean, I agree. That would be like, that. that's always the ideal to work towards. So yeah. yeah. I mean, it, sandbag yeah. your estimates. Right. That's well, exactly I, what I was thinking. I, yeah. It's just that it sometimes doesn't, like they'll, 
I, you have I to be reasonable. You, ha you have to be yeah. reasonable and be able to back up your argument, right? You can't just come at them with a, a random number and make it look like you're just yeah. trying to sat sandbag all the time or else you lose trust, right? But you can say, hey, I really don't know how to exactly give you the exact timeline here. All I know is that we could definitely get it to you by this time. We could potentially get it to you earlier as long as nothing else happens in the world. So, you know, all kinds of things happen. It's, yeah, hard to predict. So I want to talk a little bit about some pitfalls that you do making with data. Like, is it up to you guys to interpret the data or do you guys have like a team of data scientists and economists that are working with you to help you make these decisions? Because um, I'm, I'm just thinking like, we're all human. We all have biases. You want, you want, you want, you, you feel that the product needs to go in one direction, but maybe the data tells you something else. So like, how do you avoid the pitfalls of the data-driven stuff and not include your biases with when looking at the data I'll anybody a little bit on this first um Lift on it I, lauren i recognize that i'm probably like i work for this very big company so i think that my experience is not necessarily typical but um that said thankfully i do have a team of analysts that are very familiar with um how to statistically analyze data uh, in an appropriate way, in a very disciplined way. I know enough to be dangerous, so I can take a fairly straightforward analysis question, look at some existing kind of packaged tools that we have that help me to easily answer some of those straightforward questions. Um, but I have no business diving in and really trying to do like, correlation analysis and all sorts of more complex things. So I do have a dedicated team that does that. Um, I also have like specific quantitative UX researchers and qualitative UX researchers who do um, survey analysis and um, interview analysis. So I just get to like synthesize all this information as a product yeah. manager, um, which is fabulous because I am not, um, you know, necessarily a statistical expert. Um, and then, you know, I think like the questions of bias are really important regardless, because you can make data tell any story you want it to. Um, <laughs> that is really important to recognize that inherent flaw, even if you are absolutely as diligent as possible, you can cut a graph in a very specific place, you know, and just say like, well, if I look at these specific, this specific date range, it tells this story, you know, like you can selectively use data. Don't do that. <laughs> that's not, that's not good for anybody. So I think a product manager has a huge responsibility to really look at that, the holistic picture, um, to really check their bias, to understand their bias and check their bias to, you know, have that comfort with recognizing when their hypotheses didn't prove out, you know, and saying like, oh, I didn't expect that result, but, you know, the cl data clearly shows this. So what do we do about that? Um, so it takes, it takes like that hyper-awareness and diligence, um, and then ultimately sometimes humility. That sounds pretty incredible. Your team of analysts and- uh, No kidding. And, uh, I love them. And, uh, oh, they're my probably, heroes. Probably your secret AI machine <laughs> yeah. that you have access to. Um, anyways, I'd love to hear kind of the other end of the spectrum from Calissa and Nicole about working in smaller orgs where you, you might not have a team of, of uh, 
data scientists and, and business analysts to uh, help you make the data-driven decisions. So what do you, what's your guys' take on that? I uh, okay. go for it. No, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I touched on it earlier, but I was trying to build uh, dashboards for product and engineering to use uh, towards the end when I was at Daysmart. Uh, basically, like they had built a data lake um, ingesting a bunch of information from our CRM and other sources. And I was trying to build dashboards that we could use to create these smart goals, like you described, that could we actually measure if we did what we said we were going to do. So I was kind of the guinea pig for that project responsible for writing the queries to, to gather the data and build it. And um, it's tough because we, we don't really have, at that size company, we didn't really have anyone dedicated to the, that job. So there's really yeah, no I mean, one tough, person to pick a up. It's a tall slack. order. It's like yeah. a near impossible task. Like you're not a data scientist. <laughs> like it's just, yeah. Calissa, how about you? I want to respect everyone's time and, and get the show off here. But yeah, I'd like to hear how you guys do it with OpenDoc. Yeah, so it's definitely a more of a pull method instead of a push method. So a lot of times we have a question and then we'll go to our data lakes or whatever data resources that we have and try to find information about answering that question. Um, sometimes you could have insufficient data um, or you were relying too heavily on just one single source of data. So for us, we really do go back out there and ask those questions to the clients and you know, validate the findings that we uh, came to our conclusions with. So I think it's important to still kind of talk to those clients after you've pulled the data. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to stop for this week. Um, really appreciate our guests joining us again. Um, uh, you guys are great. Appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, I want to thank all our listeners for listening to the show today. Uh, we hope you find the conversation informative and valuable. Um, if you have any questions or feedback, just hop on our Discord and uh, shoot us a question or let us know what you want, want to see us talk about next. But uh, other than that, lunch is over, so get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks. Thanks.